For such a traditional storyteller, David Lean's films are surprisingly contentious. Not necessarily controversial, nonetheless his work is subject for debate. His career can be divided into two distinct phases, 1942-54, to 54, where he worked on small pictures, in England, making almost one a year, moving across a variety of genres, and with the exception of two productions, filming in black and white. Then, from 1955 until his final film in 1984, where he filmed grand subjects, outside England, averaged one picture every five years, favoured big canvases, and with the exception of two productions, always filmed in Cinemascope. Ask a film critic, and they will likely tell you his best works were from his domestic phase, Brief Encounter or Great Expectations. Ask a filmmaker, however, and they will probably plumb for his international era, The Bridge on the River Kwai or Lawrence of Arabia. This divide can be best seen in the BFI poll held every decade to list the best directors. For the critics list, Lean doesn't even make it into the top 25. For filmmakers, he's in the top 10, right alongside Kubrick, Kurosawa and Hitchcock. Here is Steven Spielberg. Lean's Bridge on the River Kwai is a film that I also will see before I direct a picture. Uh, when I ma made my Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, the Indiana Jones films, and anything that has a lot of scope and is somewhat of an adventure, I'll always run bridge. And I think one of the reasons is for that last scene. That's one of the most perfect movies ever made. Critics might be able to read a film, but that doesn't mean they know how to make one. Conjure up a story, gather together a cast, and wrestle money away from financiers. That is all Eye of the Needle stuff, but you haven't even started filming yet. You need to take words on a page, convert them on a set into an ephemeral and human event, transfer that event from its now binary code, and then rearrange it into something more meta-language than mere words. Sounds more like sorcery. Here is Paul Greengrass. The process of filmmaking is about capturing something that's in flux, that does not have a divinity that shaped it, whether that divinity is, you know, a, a deity or whether it's the divinity of the written word, the screenplay. You've got to sort of free yourself from the sense that it's been previously created, it's been previously ordained, and get to what really drama is about, which is collision without knowledge of the consequences. And then you're in a realm where it's alive and it's in play, and then you've, if you can create those moments, you're creating pieces of urgency. And if you can put all those pieces together, then you've got a film with real drive. Adapted from a novel by French author Pierre Boulle, The Bridge on the River Kwai takes place in a Japanese prison camp during World War II, where the authorities force the prisoners to construct a railway crucial to the Japanese campaign. Boole had been working as an engineer in Singapore when, in 1940, Hitler invaded his native France. When Japan invaded Singapore in 42, Boole was forced into Indochina, where Vichy France was now in control. There, Boole enlisted with the Free French Mission, renamed himself Peter John Rule, and began working as a spy, learning about munitions, sabotage techniques, and most pertinent of all, how to blow up bridges. Captured by Vichy forces, Boulle was interned in a POW camp, and it was his experiences there that inspired him to write his novel. It is a highly fictionalised action-adventure story 
about a British commando unit sent to sabotage the Japanese construction of the Burma Railway. And it was partly because Boole fictionalised the story, and partly because his plot centred around the building of the railway, that attracted an enormous readership and a great deal of controversy. For many, Boole's fiction disrespected the reality for all those men who worked on what is now called the Death Railway. The construction of the Burmese Railway saw one of the most appalling instances of sustained brutality in the Pacific Campaign. The railway line was built in one ferocious year, 1942-43, covering 258 miles and claiming over 110,000 lives. Let me put that another way. Laying railways involves putting down sleepers, wooden beams laid horizontally to spread out the weight of the track. The common length for a railway sleeper is about 8.5 feet long, which means that over the 258 miles of railway, one man died for every sleeper laid down. During World War II, and indeed for decades after, films about the campaign were typically exercises in triumphalism, with stories more often paying little heed to the atrocities of the most destructive conflict in history, and instead favoured reducing the entire campaign to a series of daring-do adventures. Objective Burma, The Sands of Iwo Jima, The Guns of Navarone, The Great Escape, Von Ryan's Express, Where Eagles Dare, The Dirty Dozen. Superficially, the bridge on the River Kwai resembles those pictures, but what sets it apart is its thematic complexity, visual dexterity, and a final shot that puts it all in a different perspective. The complexity comes from the conflict between Colonel Saito, the Japanese commander played by Seshu Hayakawa, and the English officer Lieutenant Colonel Nicholson, played by Alec Guinness. However, the biggest conflict of all is between Nicholson and the audience. Nicholson knows what he is doing, we know why he is doing it, and we know he is wrong. Yet we will him on, hoping he fails. That is complex storytelling, and it works because we can see that Nicholson has a fastidious, if not self-defeating, belief in principle. Of course, it's normally the duty of a captured soldier to attempt escape, but my men and I are involved in a curious legal point of which you are unaware. In Singapore, we were ordered to surrender by command headquarters, ordered, mind you. Therefore, in our case, escape might well be an infraction of military law. Interesting. Yes, interesting point. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't quite follow you. You mean you intend to uphold the letter of the law, no matter what it costs? Without law, Commander, there is no civilization. That's just my point. Here, there is no civilization. Then we have the opportunity to introduce it. The dexterity can be seen in the visual style devised by Lean. It was his first foray into Cinemascope, and for a novice, he mastered its form immediately. Yes, his cinematographer, Jack Hildyard, had already used widescreen for both The Deep Blue Sea an adaptation of Terence Radigan's stage play, and Anastasia, an overblown biopic of a woman claiming to be the sole survivor of the Romanov dynasty. But Lean had already educated himself in cinemascope by securing an adjusted camera for his own personal use while taking an extended holiday around Southeast Asia. There, Lean learned about dividing the frame into three vertical sections, three horizontal sections, 
and, most importantly of all, depth of field. Lenses had yet to be developed that would allow for deep focus in CinemaScope. But, nonetheless, there are several occasions where Lean keeps elements in the background clear enough for us to notice their continued presence, and how that presence impacts upon what is happening in the foreground. That style had a big impact on the early films of Steven Spielberg, and it can be seen very clearly in a moment on Kwai, where Nicholson convinces his cohort of his plan as they board a raft that shunts them slowly across the river. I tell you, gentlemen, we have a problem on our hands. Thanks to the Japanese, we now command a rabble. There's no order, no discipline. Our task is to rebuild the battalion. Yes, sir. It isn't going to be easy, but fortunately we have the means at hand. The bridge. The bridge, sir? The bridge. We can teach these Indians a lesson in Western methods and efficiency that will put them to shame. We'll show them what the British soldier is capable of doing. Yes, I see your point, sir. Compare that moment with Spielberg's Jaws, where he has the mayor and his cohort persuade Chief Brody of their plan as they take the car ferry across the sound to Martin. Right. Uh, a summer girl goes swimming. Swims out a little far. She tires. Fishing boat comes along. It's happened before. I don't think you appreciate the gut reaction people have to these things. Harry, I appreciate it. I'm just reacting to what I was told. Martin, it's all psychological. You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Another thing to note is the film's pacing. Lean had begun his career as an editor, and it could be argued that he remained one all his life. The first hour of Kwai focuses almost exclusively on the struggle between Sayutu and Nicholson, before pulling us away from the camp to see a plan being hatched for a commando unit to go in and blow up the bridge. Lean does not so much increase the pace in the film's second half as put on the brakes and grind down the gears so effectively that by the time we enter the third act, we have half an hour of excruciating cross-cutting, counting the minutes to when the train will finally cross the bridge and the commando unit will attempt to blow it up. all is said and done, Lean closes with a shot that echoes the opening shot, moving it far beyond almost every other war film made before it. He gives us a view of an eagle soaring high above the Burmese jungle, indifferent to the little games the wanton boys have been playing below. <laughs> 